Hey, it's Alan, and I just wanted to let you know that you can now listen to the ongoing history of new music early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Given what we've had to work with here in the West, we've certainly been able to create an awful lot of music. For centuries, we've used a standard scale of pitches or notes called the chromatic scale. 12 notes in an octave, then repeat. All the notes are related to each other mathematically. The connections between the notes are a set series of ratios, or as music theorists say, intervals of a semitone. Playing notes in certain combinations or patterns reveal things like chords and key and melody and harmony and so on. These 12 notes are the building blocks of our music. Everything from the greatest Mozart opera to the dumbest punk song is constructed from the same basic DNA. Now, this might naturally lead you to believe that the number of combinations of notes would be infinite. And if not infinite, we're certainly dealing with a very, very big number. Actually, I have that number. This comes courtesy of a guy named Frank Behrens, who wrote about this in something called the Arts Times back in 2004. A quick bit of factoring, remember that from math class, reveals that there are 479,000,600 possible combinations of those 12 notes, if you just play them once each. 479 million combinations. But if you accept that there are many ways to play one note, you know, it could be a whole note, a half note, a quarter note, an eighth note, a sixteenth note, a thirty-second note, you end up with a much bigger number, something just north of one quintillion possible combinations. That's a one followed by 18 zeros, one quintillion. Now, just to show you how big this number is, if you played a new combination of notes every second, it would take you 33,063,236,360 years, which is about two and a half times the age of the universe. And again, that's just for non-repeating sequences using the 12 notes of the chromatic scale. All right, but hang on. You just can't stick a bunch of tones and semitones together and expect them to sound good. Music has to sound pleasing to the ear and to the soul, too. For example, this works, this doesn't. So that means that despite that last exercise in big numbers, there are only so many combinations of notes that work from an artistic and aesthetic point of view. Okay, are you beginning to see the problem here? If there are only so many notes that can be put together in only so many pleasing ways, how long before things start being repeated? 
And if we narrow things down further to, let's say, the idiom and aesthetics of uh, rock and roll, we have an even narrower. Now, let me ask you this. How many times have you heard a song and said, hey, that song sounds just like something I heard last month? Or, wait a second, that, that guitar riff really sounds familiar. Doesn't that guy realize that someone had already used those chords in another song years ago? This sort of thing happens all the time. In fact, it happens more than most people realize. Sometimes quiet deals are worked out behind the scenes and the public never knows. But other times, things get ugly. Really ugly. These are true stories of plagiarism and unfortunate sonic coincidences. This is the Ongoing History of New Music podcast with Alan Cross. Before we go any further, please listen carefully to this song by the Red Hot Chili Peppers. I think you probably know it by now. The Red Hot Chili Peppers with Danny California from their Stadium Arcadium album, which was released on May 9th, 2006. Now listen to this, which was recorded in 1993. This is Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers with a song called Mary Jane's Last Dance. She grew up in Indiana town, had a good looking mom. She never was around, but she grew up tall and she grew up right with them Indiana boys on an Indiana night. You got that? Okay, that was Tom Petty. Chili Peppers? Getting born in the state of Mississippi. Papa was a copper and the mama was a hippie. Tom Petty. She grew up in Indiana town, had a good looking mom. She never was around. Chili Peppers. In Alabama, she was wearing a hammer. Price you gotta pay when you break the panorama. Is this a case of plagiarism? Or is it just an unfortunate sonic coincidence? Petty never sued, but people sure did suggest that he thought about it. Welcome to the show. I'm Ellen Cross. Plagiarism is when you pass off someone else's work as your own without ever acknowledging the original creator. And plagiarism is a nasty thing. It's, it's cheating, it's unethical, it's dishonest, and it, it's theft, plain and simple. And if the charge sticks, it can ruin reputations. Just ask Jason Blair. He was a reporter for the New York Times, and he got caught copying and was forced to resign in disgrace. Remember that story from 2003? Or how about Dan Brown, who was hauled through the courts at least twice on charges of plagiarizing bits of the Da Vinci Code. And yes, it does happen in music, and in all kinds of music. And that's what we're going to explore, starting with some cut-and-dried examples of people who copy things they shouldn't have, starting with Oasis. Now, according to their uh, detractors, Oasis has always been something of um, a copycat, derivative. There's a story from the days when Oasis was working on their debut album in a communal rehearsal space in Manchester. It was a place for a lot of groups to set up and and jam and stuff. Now, according to the story, other people in the complex had to listen to Oasis play the same 10 songs over and over and over again. And after a while, it became somewhat obvious that some of these songs were eerily similar to some very familiar riffs and melodies. Now, at one point, one of the other bands using the facility, we don't know who it was, posted a sign on the door of the Oasis rehearsal room, and the sign said, Get your own riffs. So, yes, they've been in trouble a number of times. Have a listen to this song. It's called Shaker Maker. It's from their first album, Definitely Maybe, released in 1994. Pay attention to the melody.
Got that? Memorize the melody? That's Shaker Maker, a UK hit for Oasis from 1994, and it was written by Noel Gallagher. Now, let me present you this, which came out in 1970. Okay, there's the New Seekers, a group who took a jingle for a Coke commercial. Yes, you heard me, a Coca-Cola commercial and they turned it into a massive worldwide hit single. And yes, there are similarities, and yes, there was a lawsuit. And no, Oasis didn't really fight too hard. I mean, when the band played the song live, Liam would often goof around by inserting bits of the Coke commercial song right into the middle of Shaker Maker. The upshot of this was a court case, and Oasis was ordered to make changes to the song. Here's a quote from Bonehead, the guitarist at the time. We ripped it off, so they had the right to sue us. Fair enough. People will steal from other bands, but change the lyrics. We did the same thing, but kept some of the same lyrics. We drink Pepsi now. But this wasn't the only Shaker Maker lawsuit. Oasis was also sued by, wait for it, members of Monty Python's Flying Circus. They insisted that Shaker Maker sounded a lot like a song from a 1973 TV sketch called How Sweet an Idiot. You can insert your own joke there. And there's more. When the What's the Story Morning Glory album first came out, it included a song called Step Out. However, all subsequent editions of Morning Glory were issued without that song, making the original version quite valuable. So what happened to Step Out? Stevie Wonder, that's what. In 1966, Stevie had a top three hit with a song called Uptight, Everything's Alright. And the chorus sounded like this. that? Okay, now here's a live recording of Oasis performing Step Out. Have a listen, and you tell me if everything's alright. Or if someone really does have a reason to be uptight. Oasis with Step Out. Did you hear anything similar in that to this? A lot of people did. Oasis was taken to court. And if you look at any post-Morning Glory version of Step Out, like on a live album or something, you'll see that it is listed as being written by Noel Gallagher and three other people. Stevie Wonder gets a credit. There's a songwriter named Sylvia Moy and a staff producer at Motown named Henry Cosby. They each get at least a quarter of the proceeds from any version of Step Out by Oasis. Like the sign on the rehearsal room door set, get your own riffs. When we come back, more stories of unfortunate sonic coincidences, including how some 41 got blindsided, we think. Welcome back. I'm Alan Cross, and we're looking at what we're calling unfortunate sonic coincidences, situations where, despite what should be very astronomical odds, we end up with two songs that sound very, very similar. Now, here's a situation involving some 41 that's floating around the internet. Let's begin with the song Still Waiting. Here it is. Can't find out, good reason, can't find hope to 
Okay, got that. Major, major hit from Sum 41. Still waiting. And then this surfaced out of Italy. It's from the mid to late 90s, apparently. Okay, got that. Now let's illustrate things by mating the Italian recording with Still Waiting. Sounds very, very similar, doesn't it? However, let's let's be honest here. We're dealing with a pop song. Pop songs, by their very nature, have very, very simple structures. In this particular case, we're dealing with a chorus that's based on two alternating notes punctuated by three or four more. Now, how easy would it be for two different composers to independently discover that melody? I'd suggest that it's not so hard at all. In fact, if you ask me... There's no plagiarism here. I'd simply chalk this up to an unfortunate sonic coincidence, and we're only aware of it because of the power and the reach of the internet. Now, let's contrast that with the case of Elastica versus Wire. Now, Elastica was one of the great bands of the Britpop era of the middle 1990s, and Britpop was all about celebrating Britishness. This meant acknowledging those who came before to blaze a trail for British rock. However, it was possible to pay too much homage Listen to this. This is a band called Wire with a track that came out in 1977. Okay, you got that? The name of that song is Three Girl Rumba from Wire, 1977. And if you had asked Justine Frischman, the leader of Elastica, about some of her favorite bands, she would have said, hey, I really liked Wire. In fact, she admitted to being such a big fan that she deliberately nicked some of Three Girl Rumba for one of her songs. You know, it was supposed to be kind of a tribute. Elastica with Connection from 1994, which sounded awfully similar to Three Girl Rumba from Wire, which was recorded in 1977. And yes, people took note. 
But there really wasn't need to haul everybody into court to prove that Elastic had ripped off wire because Justine Frischman just admitted it. Hey, you got me. But damages had to be levied. And the ruling was that Elastica had to surrender a certain amount of the royalties from that first album to Wire in exchange for paying too much homage to them. Seems fair, huh? And it wasn't the only issue with that first Elastica album. The Stranglers, British band that was formed in 1974, noticed that the Elastica song Waking Up sounded awfully like one of their songs from 77 called No More Heroes. Same result. A piece of that first Elastica album was awarded to the Stranglers. Not an unfortunate sonic coincidence, an actual case of, um, well, theft. Well-intended theft, but theft nonetheless. Coming up, another case of Get Your Own Riff, this time starring Nirvana and a track from Nevermind. One of the great, great albums of the 1990s was Nevermind by Nirvana. Yet, as he was writing it, Kurt Cobain was nagged by the thought that he just might be ripping off other people. He was worried that the chorus in Smells Like Teen Spirit was too similar to More Than a Feeling by Boston. He was afraid that people would accuse him of imitating the Pixies with the quiet, loud, quiet, loud structure of the songs. And he might have been worried about what Jazz Coleman might think about Come As You Are. Now, who is Jazz Coleman? I'll explain, but let's listen to Come As You Are first. And please pay close attention to the guitar bit that's playing right now. Okay, got that? Nirvana, Come As You Are, 1991, the Nevermind album. And before we go any further, let's hear that opening guitar bit again. Okay, can you, can you speed that up a bit? All right, you got that? Now, let's play this. The band is Killing Joke, fronted by Jazz Coleman. The song is from 1985, and it's called 80s. Now, just for the sake of clarity, can you slow down the killing joke? <laughs> okay, see, so you can maybe see the problem here. Jazz Coleman was the singer and co-writer of 80s, and yes, he did notice the similarities. But did he ever do anything about it? It's actually very unclear. Some sources say that there was a lawsuit, but that it was dropped after Kurt Cobain committed suicide. Others say that even though they considered suing, Killing Joke decided not to take any action on copyright infringement for personal and financial reasons. Whatever the case, today all is forgiven. Kurt is gone, and Dave Grohl has performed and recorded with Killing Joke. Still, back in 1992, the whole controversy threatened to scuttle Come As You Are, which was released as the second single from Nevermind. Makes you kind of wonder what might have happened had a lawsuit prevented the release of that single and what might have happened to the momentum of Nevermind as a whole throughout 1992. Had that momentum been interrupted by a lawsuit, things might have turned out really a lot different. 
And it kind of makes you think where music in the 90s kind of might have gone, huh? When people create art, they're justifiably proud of their accomplishment. So when someone comes along with something that sounds spookily familiar to what you did, you're going to want to know what's going on. On part two of An Unfortunate Sonic Coincidence, we'll look at accusations leveled against Trent Reznor in Nine Inch Nails, a suit filed against New Order by John Denver, and we'll look at how Nickelback has been accused of plagiarizing themselves. I know that sounds a little weird, and I know that no one was sued, but it's an interesting little exercise in strangeness. Trying to find the story and the truth behind those songs that sound very, very similar. Technical Productions by Rob Johnston. I'm Alan Cross. You've been listening to the Ongoing History of New Music podcast with Alan Cross. Subscribe to the podcast through iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and everywhere you find your favorite podcasts.